sooner they leave Egypt, they run into a real problem, and that is there's a lot of people that got too much Egypt in them. So it only took three days, they say, to get out of Egypt, but it took them 40 years to get Egypt out of them, right? And so God lets several of them, like generation of them, die out in the wilderness so that when they go into the land of promise, it might be a purer generation. And so this is where we pick up the story. They're about to enter after this 40-year wandering. And in chapter 4, they have just... The chapter 3 described last week how they crossed the River Jordan. And now in chapter 4, we hear what they did as they crossed and after they crossed. So here's where we pick it up with uh, Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them. To their camp, where they put them, put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan, the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they're there to this day. Now, the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, 
In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. And when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over, he said this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a great story. What a powerful story. Now, in Joshua 3, we heard the culmination of the, the, the whole getting ready situation from, from the, the moment that they arrive at their encampment on the far side of the Jordan. And we saw how they were getting ready to move and they were getting ready to experience and see what God would do. And now Joshua is inviting them to say something about that. And that's why today's message is called getting ready to speak. Because God didn't just invite them to join God in what he was doing, but he also invited them to say something about it. And the gist of this passage that I think the most significant part of this passage is what they say about God. Now, you recognize, as you heard, that they were to erect a monument of 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, and, and they put them up at Gilgal as a, as a marker, as a sort of benchmarker, as a, as a milestone, you might say, of their accomplishments thus far. This was a, this was, we were talking about this in Bible study the, the other night. Can, can you even imagine this event? Think about it for a second. Imagine that you live in Jericho. It's only a mile and a half or so from the location that this happened. Can you imagine you're standing on the ramparts of Jericho, looking out across the valley towards the, the swollen Jordan River, and you see a million or so people massing to cross a swollen, flooded river. And you see a hint of a glint of gold somewhere over there, because it's always sunny down there. I don't know what the deal is, but that valley is just sunny most of the time. And, and you see this glimmering golden glint shining in the sunlight, and, and it's moving. And imagine it just sort of bobbing up and down because these guys are carrying it on poles on their shoulders, and they, they're stepping down into the water. And imagine at first that it's a little hard to figure out what's going on, but they're walking into the river. And they walk into the river and you can see that nothing is impeding their progress. But after a while, you begin to recognize that upstream there is this bizarre, never before seen anomaly that's happening. This phenomenon is happening up the river from them where water is just sort of piling into something like a mountain. It's like a mountain of water just sort of piling up like, like a frozen waterfall. And pretty soon, you see a million people preceded by 40,000 soldiers who are presumably carrying spears and shields and things, wearing armor, 
glinting in the sun, and they step down into this river valley, and maybe they disappear for a few minutes. You know how the creek beds and river beds are. They descend down in there, and you don't see them for a few seconds, and then all of a sudden, here they come, up your side of the river, this glinting 40,000-man army, and behind them a million people and all their stuff all their animals, all their things. And they, and they begin to move across this strange and mysterious phenomenon, a dried up river. And they look like a giant sort of seething, oozing sort of mass, you know? I mean, have you ever seen a really huge crowd walk? You know, I mean... That's a long story, but years ago, I can remember the Jamboree, Boy Scout Jamboree, and back then, I'm talking a long time ago, Boy Scouts wore these red berets. That was the official hat for a while, and, and I remember an aerial shot. I saw the Jamboree, and, and it looked like millions of little roses walking around, you know? It was all these boys walking around with these red hats on, you know? And, and could you just imagine this, right? And, and, and then it, it sort of oozes on up towards your direction, and had to be terrifying if you lived in Jericho. And then eventually the movement seems to come to a stop and eventually this glint of gold sort of moves again, bobbing up and down on their shoulders and it disappears into that valley again and then it comes back up over the embankment on your side and stops and this mountain of water up the river suddenly just collapses. And I imagine the roar was so loud you could have heard it all over that valley, certainly in Jericho, as this mountain of water collapses and rushes back down the stream towards the Dead Sea. Talk about a tsunami. And then everything seems to settle. Now, that's what it looks like from Jericho. But down there where we are, we're the people of Israel. We see 12 of the burliest dudes in the whole tribes of Israel putting up. Because you know it's a man thing. You know that when Joshua said, get one man from each of those tribes to go down to the river and get it. You know that each one of those men tried to get a bigger rock than the other one. Come on, men. You're with me here. It's a man thing. So we're not talking about a little pile of rocks. We're talking about a monument. And so they went into that riverbed where the ark was, and they got the biggest rocks they could carry, and the big burly men carried them up, and they made one mile. Because it's, look what they were witnessing. They wanted to make something that people would never forget. When they looked at that, they would know. Meanwhile, this is a much overlooked part of this story. Meanwhile, in the middle of all this activity, Joshua, by himself, who was probably a pretty burly fellow himself, he goes into the river and he goes back to the other shore. Let's see, what verse is that? I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Yeah, I'm so far off my notes, I can't even find the place where I tell you what verse it is. But... He goes over to the other shore and he gets rocks from the far side where they just came from and he piles them up in the middle of the Jordan where the ark is standing. So you with me here? So, so the big boys, they've carried out rocks from within the Jordan, put them on the 
promised land side. And Joshua has taken rocks from the old covenant side. And he's put them in the middle of the river. And then he comes over to the promised land side. The ark comes out and the waters rush in. Now, Joshua's monument disappears under the water. It's gone. Never to be seen. Presumably, it's still there to this day. I guess if you knew where to look, you could swim in there and dive down and see where Joshua's monument is. There's nobody messed with that one. They didn't know where it was. So it's probably still there. Enough so that when Jesus is baptized at the same location, because it has a name that says place of crossing, where John the Baptist is doing his baptizing, and he says, these rocks could make a new nation of Israel. Do you wonder which rocks he was talking about? Maybe he was talking about those rocks in the water where he's baptizing. And then they build the monument at Gilgal, and the message that this monument is supposed to convey to generation after generation after generation is... God delivered us from slavery in Egypt. God delivered us across the promise to the promised land by way of wandering in the wilderness. You know, it's rare for one generation to not pretty much reject everything sacred to the previous generation, right? We understand that. That's kind of the nature of things, you know. It's worse in some cases than others, but but, you know, one generation will generally resist the values of the previous generation, if only to find its own identity. But if they're rooted well, it just becomes a new interpretation of the old values. But in this case, a whole generation was brought up with the understanding that their parents really messed it up. Good. I mean, messed it up. And this is why you're in the wilderness. You know, children ask questions. Why do we wander around in the wilderness? Why, why do we live here? Why do we move every time the pillar moves or the cloud moves? You know, why is that anyway? And the parents explain, well, we were supposed to go into the promised land, but we weren't very faithful. And God is punishing us for that. But you guys will get to go. So learn from our mistakes. How many parents have told their children that in one form or another? Learn from our mistakes. You ask me how I know what it takes to smash your thumb with a hammer? Because I've done it a few times myself. So I can tell you, don't do that. And sometimes they still do. Sometimes they learn from us. And in this case, a whole gener generation enters the promised land understanding that they're supposed to do something new. That they're supposed to put the past behind them and let go of everything that's on that side of the Jordan. Now, don't think that the people didn't understand what Joshua was doing, because they did. They got it. We miss it because it goes by so fast in our reading. But the people understood. They saw that Joshua was taking rocks from the old side, from the wilderness. And he puts them in the river. And then they eventually get covered like they've been buried in a grave. And it's a way of saying that the old has died. It's a way of saying that the sins of the fathers have been forgiven. 
In fact, you'll read in chapter 5, God says, I'm done with all that. We're going forward from here. And so they understand that Joshua's symbolic gesture of taking rocks from the wilderness side and putting them in the river they crossed on dry ground and then letting that river swallow those rocks up is a way of saying the past is the past and it's behind us. We're moving into the promise now. And here is the sign and the symbol of the promise. Rocks from within a river that was dried up by our God so that we could enter into the promise. And they're going to tell their kids every time anybody ever asks. And that place at Gilgal will play a critical role in most of the significant biblical events from that point forward in your Bible. It'll return to prominence over and over again in your reading of Scripture. Because it became an emblem of how God forgives and resets It became an emblem of how God puts the covenant of Abraham into a new context with Joshua and the new generation that's entering the promised land. Now we know, because we've got the whole book in front of us, that they eventually mess it up too. But at this moment, it is a profound victory for God. And it isn't a victory over the river It isn't a victory over Jericho. Those are easy. The victory is God's grace and forgiveness. I don't know if it's hard for God to forgive, but I know it's hard for me. I don't know if it's hard to show grace to people who will spit in your eye and reject you for God, but it's hard for me. And so the victory that God illustrates so beautifully with two piles of stones, one forever exposed to the air and one forever buried beneath the water. And should I point out to you that from about that point of crossing south, the fresh water that comes from Mount Hermon and the Sea of Galilee turns more and more bitter until it becomes a total place of death called the Dead Sea. Isn't it amazing that the sins represented in those stones are put at a point where death is the nature of the river and the lake that follow? Isn't it amazing that at a place called Adam, The transition happens, and it happens because of forgiveness and grace and new birth. Isn't that mind-boggling? So what's this story about? A God of new beginnings. And what is this story? It's a precursor to the very gospel itself, because we know that in Jesus, Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name, There is a death to the sin nature that is buried and put away. And then there is a bursting forth into new light and life that is eternal. And it represents a covenant of grace and peace with us. We are the people of the promise 
We are the people who have put the sin behind us because we confessed Christ as the one who made that possible, the one who dried up the Jordan River of our death and gave us new life and a new promise and a new place to go, the one who tells us there's no obstacle too great for our God, even our sin and death. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? Chew on that today. Ask yourself what the Lord wants you to say about your relationship with God. A few weeks ago, I asked, some hard, asked you a hard question, and I followed each week. I've ended each message with a tough question. The question from a few weeks ago was, if Shiloh were gone, would anybody in this community care? Would anybody in this community notice? And then I asked you, what Shiloh is known for around Jasper and Ireland. And is that a good thing? This week I ask you, what sort of message you want to leave behind? What kind of pile of rocks do you want to leave behind? Shiloh, what kind of monument do you want to erect to say what God has done here? Or we are, are we guilty of making monuments to ourselves? There's the question. It's a hard question. Have we made monuments to God's glory, God's provision, God's power over the obstacles, and God's new life and deliverance from sin and death? Or have we made monuments to ourselves? Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts for your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Amen.